This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The Vatican has announced yet another new ordinary synod, this one to be held in the fall of 2022. The theme of that synod, they don't know yet, but they have time to figure it out. So why a synod? Who really knows? The best bet right now from serious observers, and I'm completely serious when I say this, is that the forthcoming synod will be, drumroll please, a synod on synods. Yes, you heard that right. A meeting of the bishops to discuss future meetings of the bishops. I don't know about you, but I absolutely love things like this. I suppose this is the natural result of thinking that the church is essentially a glorified NGO, a non-governmental organization that typically engages in the sorts of corporal works of mercy that the church used to be the almost exclusive organizer of back in the sane old days, except with government funding. So prepare for that synod, and God willing, I'll be around to cover it for you. But for now, Cardinal Walter Brandmuller released a statement to the public late last week that was completely lost in the noise surrounding Francis's new apostolic exhortation, and he warns the Germans that their synodal path may turn the church in Germany into an NGO. Good timing. Since you probably didn't hear about this document, I have the full text for you here. In short, Cardinal Brandmuller chastises the German bishops for attempting to secularize and democratize the church, for in his words, following the path of Martin Luther. We saw this push at the Amazon Synod, and we see it here. Brandmuller is reviewing the guiding document for the German Synod, so any references he makes in the document, which will follow shortly, where he says crazy or heterodox things, he says, must be understood in that context. That He's quoting the document that the Germans are embracing the spirit of Luther and turning the church into an earthly, democratic organization. All offices are to be leveled and open to everyone. If this sounds familiar, this is what I've been warning people about for the past 18 months or longer. Anyway, here is the letter by Cardinal Walter Brandmuller, one of the last living dubia cardinals. The German Synodal Path by Cardinal Walter Brandmuller Now, the Synodal Path has begun. To see where it should lead, it may not be too late to take a thoughtful look at the working paper of the preparatory forum of the September last year. For the time being, it may suffice to take a look at the working paper specifically dedicated to the topic Power and Separation of Powers in the Church, Common Participation and Sharing in the Mission. Although this text may meanwhile seem outdated with regard to relativizing explanations, it nevertheless reveals quite unprotectedly the world of ideas and intentions of its authors. Now, one might think that it is about the central truths of the faith and their convincing proclamation in the world of the 21st century. How necessary that would be. But none of this is mentioned in the preparatory paper, just as in the discussion within the church in Germany. What is to be discussed and decided upon, rather, is power in the church, the role of women, celibacy, and sexual morals, 
as it has been done incessantly and tiringly since the Würzburg Synod of 1971, a synod held in Würzburg by the German bishops from 1970 to 1975. That's a note from the translator. It is shattering to see how, with this choice of topics or the exclusion of the really central objects, the actual illness of official German Catholicism becomes now visible. The circling around oneself, the self-referentiality that replaces the going out into all the world, the proclamation of the gospel. There, one then notes with astonishment how often in this text the term power occurs. One in the church, quite differently from the civil society, it must be about not power, but authority. But this means that it has to be exercised, conferred, and answered, for by mandate. So much for the key term of the text. When there then is talk about the standards of a plural society in a democratic constitutional state, the observance of which is expected by many Catholics, also in their church, then it is nevertheless to be asked what in the eyes of the author still distinguishes the church from a secular community. If that is what this is really about, then you can actually start making demands with a we want and formulate intentions, etc., for example, there is talk of participation, in what, of all members of the people of God and of the separation of powers. The power, it says there, is so far unilaterally bound to the consecration. There is talk of a unilateralization of the ordained ministry. Thus, the question arises of a common participation of all faithful in the assumption, exercise, responsibility, and control of power. Now, finally, also the question, how are office and ordination connected? In such a perspective, even this question is then asked, how power of leadership in liturgy, teaching, and diaconia, charity, pastoral care, is divided in such a way that, in the end, it is thus basically about power, participation, and separation of powers in the church. Finally, the paper relies on the intuition of the people of God, on the possibilities of theology to think the church dif of the third church differently, whereby the signs of the times are to be considered. Thus, the church could be led into the width that God opens up. We do not want a new church, but a renewed church. We want to live and think of the faith differently from how it was before the turning point, which is set by coming to terms with the abuse. So much for the introductory chapter. In the following, the text gets to the point more clearly. Here the authors note a widespread understanding of the church in Germany, which is characterized by a charging of the ordained ministry as holy violence, which corresponds less to a Catholic necessity into an anti-modern tendency. But that was a new invention after the Enlightenment. Significantly, there is not given any proof, which is hard to give. Then the authors find particularly offensive the concentration of sacramental, legislative, executive, administrative, and legal authority, which is said to be only a development of the 19th century. Question marks must also be placed behind this assertion. And again, the normative claims that are lived practice in modern democratic constitutional states, as well as in the church, are decisively opposed to this question system. The universal claim to freedom and equality which the church raises cannot be asserted by her without contradiction when it bounces off the institutional walls of the church. Did the authors think here of Luther's writing to the Christian nobility, which speaks of these very walls? Moreover, a distinction must be made between being of equal value and being equal. Once again, the authors are venturing onto the slippery slope when they claim that since the 19th century, the church has strongly organized herself according to the model of a monarchy. Really? How then? At the end of the section, for how many times and in an undifferentiated way, the normative principles of freedom and equality are invoked, and according to which the church had to be organized at the level of the institutional possibilities of the time. 
Let us leave it at that for now. The direction in which the church is to be led is clearly recognizable. But now in the end, principles are formulated, which, however, require critical examination. The introductory statement, understanding and exercise of power, participation and separation of powers, are key issues, is in fact itself the key to understanding the whole text. Indeed, the actual intention behind the enterprise called the Synodal Path. According to the text, the church needs a new reflection on the calling and empowerment of the whole church to proclaim the gospel. This demand is immediately made concrete. It is about nothing more and nothing less than the abolition of celibacy and access of women to the ordination of priests and bishops, which is to be openly discussed. The reference to the necessity of a regulation for the entire church is only a fig leaf, with which the clear commitment to the female priesthood is for the first time being still to be veiled. And then, the theological basis for it consists in the fundamental equality of all church members, which is sacramentally sealed in baptism and confirmation, and is expressed in the common priesthood of all believers. Why, then, ordination to the priesthood would still be required remains unsaid. Once again, it is not recognized that the equal rank of all members of the church is nevertheless connected with a difference in vocation. Were the authors aware that, with the exception of the mention of confirmation, they were simply repeating the statements of Luther's pamphlets of 1520. When there is talk of a fundamental equality of all church members, then that is, when correctly understood, a matter of course, but in this context it is only copying Luther. For what has crawled out of baptism can boast that it has already been ordained priest, bishop, and pope, that we are all equally priests. Thus says Luther in To the Christian Nobility of the German Nation on the Improvement of the Christians, a writing in which he, among other things, not only mocks but denies the sacrament of holy orders. It is astonishing to what extent the demands of the synod paper correspond to Luther's concern. There is then also talk of the separation of powers of the rights of the faithful, and of the claim that power of leadership and decision-making cannot be exclusively bound to ordination. The leadership of the congregations is also one of these tasks. It is not bound to ordination. The next topic is the selection of bishops for which participation of those concerned is considered necessary. Finally, the synodal path should decide also upon a framework for differentiation and cooperation of the different ministries in the church, including in the Episcopal ministry. And again, a problematic monopolistic image of the church is criticized, which would have to be broken up by processes of accountability and control of participation and separation of powers. So it is very surprising when one reads in the conclusion, quote, the pastoral ministry of bishops as well as of pastors is undisputed in the Catholic Church. Nevertheless, it does not justify absolutism in the exercise of ecclesiastical authority, end quote. Of course, but has this ever been denied? However, also common in shared decision-making powers were necessary. Rights to have a say, rights of decision, obviously by laymen, were already documented here and there. Regional differences are also conceivable. Again, there is talk of leadership offices and exercises of power, which are to be invested in a participatory way and to be practiced sustainably. When it is about personnel decisions, distribution of finances, and determination of the major ecclesial, political, and pastoral lines. If there were not also talk of ecclesial and pastoral politics, one could be reminded of the topics of the supervisory board meeting of an industrial company. It is astonishing enough that finally the term sacramental authority appears, even if it is immediately again about authority to rule. Of course, not to be neglected is the mention that procedures for the separation of powers, what is that, as a control of power, have proved themselves in modern democracies, quote-unquote. 
If now it is also demanded that church leadership, quote-unquote, what is that? Legislation and jurisdiction should not be in the hands of the bishop alone. This not only goes beyond the scope of the existing law, but also contradicts the hierarchical structure of the church, grounded in the sacrament of holy orders. It is astonishing enough that it is nevertheless recognized in casual tones, quote, the episcopate is indispensable and central for the structure of the church, as indeed, quote, the bishop's ministry in ordination and the assignment to leadership, unquote, is clar clar clarified in the Catholic Church. It is difficult to see how the contradictory statements or demands concerning the episcopate could be reconciled with one another. Finally, the text takes giant steps towards the goal of democratizing the church. Selection processes in the forms of elections and deliberations, what is that, with the participation of elected representatives of the whole people of God. Accountability of all office bearers to democratically elected bodies. Time limitation, i.e. probably term limits, for important executive offices, whatever result that would only have the name in common with the Church of Jesus Christ. So much just to characterize the actual aim of this paper, and thus of the whole synodal enterprise. The obvious attempt to impose secular, democratic structures with its procedures on the Church is basically directed against the essence, the very mystery of the Church. Read with due attention, our text thus grants deep insight not only into the ideas and intentions of the authors, which are probably to be found in the vicinity of the Central Committee of German Catholics. The reader here also hears language as it is usually to be heard in the political milieu. It is a political vocabulary that the reader encounters in an ecclesial text. It is quite characteristic that in its 19 pages, the word power appears 79 times, an observation that shows what the authors are ultimately concerned with, power. It seems to have been forgotten that authority can exist in the church only as an authority exercised by the Lord of the church by virtue of a mandate, and that this authority is conferred by the sacrament of holy orders, not by the popular election. The religious and pious phrases interspersed rather abruptly contrast strangely with the political vocabulary of the text. This is probably a reference to the existence of different authors, but the overall impression remains. It is about politics. Your language betrays you. You are a Galilean. See Matthew chapter 26, verse 73. A further characteristic of the text is the one-sided emphasis on the participation of the laity in the church. One might think this was previously unknown. Meanwhile, the authors here meet with open doors, and thus reveal their simple ignorance of canon law, which, according to the Codex Erucius Canonica, Canon 224-231, determines the rights and duties of the laity. The demands made in our text, however, go far beyond that. Here, one is all too obviously oriented toward the model of the Protestant regional churches, their structures and synods. This applies, difficult to understand, also to the composition and structure of the synodal path. Such a model of the church, the synodal path, corresponds admittingly rather to that of a non-governmental organization of socio-pedagogical design than to the church of Jesus Christ. It is a, as significant as it is strange to see how little the authors of our text understood that the church of Jesus Christ is neither a monarchy nor a democracy, etc. She is a mystery of faith that cannot be adequately grasped by human categories, and about which even Holy Scripture can speak only in the images. But where is this insight in the present text, apart from the slight use of the theological pious vocabulary? One might think that for the synodal path of the German Catholics, the Constitution Lumen Gentium the Second Vatican Council, first of all, is decisive. In the present text, however, no reference is made to it. Also, where are the relevant documents of the post-conciliar teaching authority? And what about those passages of the Gospels where the missions of the Apostles was mentioned, where it is about the nature of the Church as the body of Christ, as the house of God, as the vine? 
Well, Jesus said not to to the crowd or to the men and disciples who followed him. Whoever listens to you, listens to me, receives the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, etc. But rather only to the twelve who were gathered in the upper room and who were given the commission, do this in remembrance of me. All this, and also Paul with his spirit-filled vision of the mystery of the church, all this is not supposed to have any meaning for the synodal path. Apparently, this also applies to Vatican II's constitution, Lumen Gentium, on the church. How urgently, even evocatively, does the admonition of the Apostle Paul sound here? Do not make yourselves equal to this world. See Romans chapter 12, verse 2. This appeal to applies today in a special way to the bishops, the Catholics of Germany. Signed, Cardinal Walter Brandmuller. Thank you for listening. Give me your thoughts in the comments below. I look forward to reading them. Ave Maria.